Welcome to Gospel Central, where we help ministry-minded Christians think through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We're here to discuss how this gospel is at the very heart of the Christian faith and how it empowers all of ministry and life. We are your hosts. I'm Simon. And I'm Ed. And we're glad to have you listening in as we consider all kinds of practical and theological topics through the lens of the gospel. Well, welcome, Ed. Good to, good to have you today. Yep. Thanks for having me here. Right, well, today we want to talk about sanctification. There's a big uh, Christian word that uh, is a bit of jargon. So what is sanctification, Ed? Sanctification, is that about us progressively growing in holiness? And it's often uh, spoken of in contrast to? It's spoken of often in contrast to what is called justification. Okay, and what is justification? So justification is punctilia, which means you're that not it's helping. Like, <laughs> you're not helping us escape the jargon here. <laughs> which means that it's a, it's there's something that happened in a moment in time that at the very moment that you believe and you trust in Jesus, you are justified. And your justification neither increase nor decrease because it is a binary thing. Either you are righteous or you're not before God. So you are declared righteous. But sanctification is not about being declared righteous. It's about becoming actually righteous. And therefore, it does increase and sometimes decrease. And hopefully, the overall trend is a growing, increasing holiness that becomes looking more and more like Jesus. So I think that's the difference between sanctification and justification. When I think about those two, I think about uh, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews writing and uh, talking about uh, he has made perfect for one time those who are continuing to be to being to be being made holy that's right so there's a sense in which there's a once for all we're declared right in god's sight because mm. of jesus death and resurrection mm-hmm. covenant's blood justified however we are growing into that righteousness in, in some sense and experientially becoming more and more holy and that's what sanctification is mm-hmm. so we want to talk today about the gospel and sanctification and how the gospel empowers mm. our sanctification Mm. I guess one of the big ideas of gospel centrality is that the gospel is not just for our justification, which is typically how many Christians can think about it. Mm -hmm. The gospel is what saves us, but once we're saved, well, now we've got to pull up our bootstraps and work hard, and then we'll slowly become holy. But gospel centrality does not argue for that. So how how does the gospel relate to sanctification, Ed? Well... We're going to take the whole episode to actually talk about this, right? I think um, the I think the big idea really is that we should not confuse the two. Uh, the distinction between justification and sanctification uh, is very important. Uh, we should not confuse our sanctification for our justification. But on the other hand, um, the fact that we are once for all made righteous, we are not made sorry, once for all declared righteous by yes. God, right? serves as a proper foundation and motivation for us to actually uh, pursue sanctification. I think that's a big idea. That's fantastic. So our sanctification, in a sense, is what we're talking about whenever we're engaging and teaching the Bible to Christians, when we're preaching Mm -hmm. on Sunday. This is growing in godliness is a huge part of what it means. And this is coming through in our preaching, community group discussions, counseling, personal sanctification. And what we want to talk about today is how the gospel actually practically works, how it really applies our sanctification, right? Right. It's one thing to say the gospel is not just for our justification, it's for our sanctification, but it's another thing to say, well, how on earth does it actually make me more holy and righteous? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I guess, you know, referring to an an earlier episode that we 
uh, released previously about how we can be prone to use the gospel in a buzzword-like way. Mm-hmm. What we don't want to do is just be saying to people at church, well, just believe the gospel or the gospel should help you or become holy because of the gospel. That's right. true, but we want to help people understand the person who stands behind the gospel, lead them to him so that Jesus mm-hmm. himself and what he's actually done can help us grow in godliness. Mm-hmm. So maybe one thing that would be helpful before we dive in would be to just talk briefly about the distinction between the gospel and our response to it so that those categories are clear in our own minds as we move forward. So when we think about the gospel and our response, um, gospel really, the word means good news, right? And news is typically something that's done outside of you uh, because you know what you've done. (laughs) Yes. But good news is that Jesus Christ, he has died for sinners. He's died for you and me, sinners such as I, such as we are. And that is humbling because as um, as we often think about the death of the cross, uh, death of Jesus on the cross, um, it's really a display of our sinfulness. That's actually what it looks like for a sinner to die. And he died a sinner's death, even though he himself is not a sinner. But at the same time, it's at the same time it's assuring because it shows us that God loves us God demonstrated his love for us in this that while we are yet sinners Christ died for us and that is the gospel the gospel is that Jesus has done this and our response to it right whether it humbles us whether it assures us and whether it actually really motivates us and to think about repentance for example would be actually our response so there's actually there's connection definitely between our response and the gospel. Absolutely. Although our response in and of itself is not the gospel per se. That's correct. So let's talk a little bit about our response. When we if the gospel was that we have to attain a certain righteousness in order to be pleasing to God, our response would be, you know, good works. Mm-hmm. Our primary response would be uh, ensuring that we are holy enough. Right. But the gospel is not that. The gospel is good news about what God has done through Jesus to mm-hmm. save us. In the light of that, what is our response to the gospel? What is our, our first and primary response to this good news? Well, it's typically phrased in terms of repentance and faith, right? Like how Jesus in the gospel of Mark, yes. when he first entered in the scene, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. Okay, so do you want to just tease out repentance and faith very quickly and how they're related to one another. Typically, we talk about repentance and faith really as two sides of the same coin. Uh, I think one of the ways it makes sense to me is this, is that when we actually put our faith in Jesus, we do actually have to at the same time confess and believe a few things. Yes. Because when we believe that He He is my Savior, I must also then believe that he's saving me from something. Correct. He's saving me from my sins. He's saving me. F- a, he's saving me, a sinner. And so I need to then also believe that I'm a sinner and I have sin. And and part of and then when when you think about that, and to say that I have sins and I have sinned, you are then actually have to recognize those sins that you have committed as wrong. So in a sense, that almost immediately suggests that. You are turning away from them. Although you are not actually turning from them yet, but you are saying that, look, these things I've done, they are wrong and they deserve death. 
Right. And, and, and that almost immediately suggests that I should turn from them because these are all death producing acts. Um, another way to look at it is that, is that actually sin, the definition of sin, often contains the idea of unbelief. Okay. Because it's not only just that sin is not just at a level of actions, it's ultimately an attitude towards God. Yes. We do not believe that God is good. We do not believe that God loves us. We do not believe that God is God really what he desires commands is ultimately for our good. Instead reject him and we want to go on our own way. That is actually part of the essence of sin. But as we now turn f- from that, because to believe means that you are e- you are effectively turning from unbelief to belief. Absolutely. And I think that begins to look very much at repentance, which is why we often say that faith and repentance actually comes together. They're actually two sides of the same coin. That analogy of two sides of the same coin is a great way to think about it. Tightly bound together, two different facets or aspects that we can think about Mm -hmm. where we're turning from ourselves toward God um, and believing in Him. So one of the things that we've often spoken about in membership classes and other things is how the Reformation, Mm -hmm. uh, at one of its key moments, had Martin Luther nailing the 95 Theses Mm -hmm. to the the door of the chapel in Wittenberg. That's right. And the first of those 99 Theses was... Uh, this phrase translated into English roughly all of life is repentance that's right all of life is repentance Mm -hmm. and it would be helpful to maybe unpack that for a little while you know what Luther really meant by that was in his day and age uh, there were many indulgences being sold Mm -hmm. in the Roman Catholic Church of the time and the effect of indulgences was that people could effectively buy the ability to have their sins forgiven or mm-hmm. credit before God, essentially. Right. And what this meant, actually, was that people ended up developing a somewhat cavalier attitude towards sin. Mm-hmm. Because if you sinned, it didn't really matter that much because there was a way of just paying for it and you could you could, you could actually buy, um, you know, merit before God. And mm-hmm. what was interesting was when Luther did nail these theses to the, to the door, mm-hmm. it was a very early stage of the Reformation. He hadn't even got full clarity on the gospel yet in many ways. That's right. um, and he actually was not even bemoaning the practice of indulgences per se. Mm-hmm. At that stage, he still actually didn't think they were that bad. He was mm-hmm. more uh, opposed to the fruit of them or the result of them, which is that people were not sincere about their turning away from sins and truly right. turning toward God and loving Him. And that's what he was actually arguing for, that mm-hmm. repentance must be sincere. All of life must be this. Mm-hmm. Um, so... What what do you think Luther means by all of life is repentance? I think you, you probably alluded to it earlier when you spoke about how the very nature of sin is unbelief itself. I think that, um, yes, so n- the nature of sin is unbelief. And so part of actually when we think about sin, when we deal with it, um, the only way to deal with sin almost, apart from, of course, Forgiveness of sins can only be coming from the death of Jesus. But in terms of uh, repentance, it must actually involve us turning to God in, in belief and trusting in Him. Because to tr- even trust in ourselves, even to repent in a worldly manner, in a way, yes. that you're actually relying on your own effort to be, to fight sin, for example, is in itself, ironically, a sin. Right. Which is why the Puritans, I, I don't think, I don't think Luther has this phrase, but uh, we have this phrase of, even our repentance ought to be repented of. Mm. Because very often our own efforts in striving for holiness is actually Lord not by our own impure desires. And our our, our and our self-dependence. We want to show that we can do it. 
Right. Right. It's a matter of sheer, matter. Of, this is my willpower that overcoming sin. But ironically, in doing that, you are actually giving in to another sin, which is pride. Right. So um, I think that what is fascinating about um, Luther's um, phrase that all of life is repentance is that um, at least from um, the background that I'm from um, in terms of churches, I used to think that repentance is something that's fairly infrequent and possibly very dramatic. Yes. Involves a lot of crying and tears. That's exactly how, how I thought about repentance growing up. Um, yeah, and it's only to be done rather reluctantly. Yes. And but if and if and if it must be done, uh, I shall hasten to put it this way. It must be done spectacularly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the way that I think that that way of thinking about repentance. I mean, as, as we talk about how it really is a show, can really be a way for the self to actually in, 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 indeed uh, bask in self-glory because it's spectacular, it's dramatic and, and, all, and all the rest of it. But I think that when Luther actually mentioned that all of life's repentance, actually he meant for repentance to be regular, yes, to be fairly undramatic, and it's actually something that we ought to be doing until we, until we die. And in one sense, the more holy we become as Christians, or the more the closer to Jesus, it's very likely impossible that our repentance will increase and not decrease. Because the closer mm-hmm. we are to Jesus, the more aware we are actually of our own hearts and lives, the way in which we've turned from Him. And so that greater consciousness actually of ourselves leads us to more regular and swift turning toward God and confessing our sins. It's kind of like often when someone first becomes a Christian, they could think, well, you know, the main sins are mm-hmm. like adultery and murder and mm-hmm. I haven't really done that. So mm-hmm. I haven't really committed too many sins. Um, but as you slowly grow in the knowledge of God, you realize, as you said, how yeah, the root of sin is deep within our hearts and so much of even our good deeds are tainted by that and we become quicker to repent not just of the bad things we've done, but even some of the good things that we've done with bad motives. So I think one of the ways that um, we tend to misconstrue it, just just to piggyback what we said and what you just said as well, is that um, we tend to think of repentance and faith as kind of the way into the, the gospel okay. or the way to become a Christian. Yep. But then, whereas in fact, actually, the way that we grow as a Christian in sanctification, in holiness, is actually not very dissimilar from the way that we become a Christian. Absolutely. We actually continue to repent and believe. But rather, what, 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 but instead of the first time where we are just entering into the kingdom, we are actually, in fact, now because of our deeper understanding of who God is, we are more knowledgeable of His Word, His Word and, and His Spirit is pointing to other areas of our life that we never thought of that could be actually be offensive against God. And that actually results in us having growing into deeper and deeper repentance and at the same time a greater faith in God because we now see that we ever more and more actually need the cross of Jesus Christ. Because how can I be saved if actually Jesus has not died for me? That's right. So that reminds me that reminds me of what Paul says in Colossians about, you know, as you receive Christ, so continue to walk in him, rooted mm. and built up. And the means by which we enter into the gospel of repentance and faith is mm-hmm. how we continue to walk before Jesus. Mm-hmm. So let's think a little bit more about this dynamic of repentance and faith mm-hmm. and how that relates to our sanctification. Mm-hmm. Coming back to Martin Luther, we spoke about how he spoke about how all of life is repentance. Mm-hmm. One of the things that Luther said that always strikes me is that 
It's impossible for us to break any of God's commands or laws without first having broken the first command. Mm-hmm. That we should have no other gods before him. Mm-hmm. Um, and we should worship God alone. And Luther's mm-hmm. essentially saying, you know, you can't covet someone else's property or you can't lie or steal or break the Sabbath without first having turned away from God and a true mm-hmm. love and worship and adoration for God yes. in your own heart. And if that is true, that that you, the, the analogy I've used is that it's like if you think about walking into a mall, it's impossible to walk into one of the shops in the mall without first having entered the mall itself. Mm. Um, and <laughs> you can't you can't you can't break any of the commandments in the mall without first having entered. And the way you enter the mall is by breaking the first commandment. That's right. And so, repentance and faith, uh, apart from just dealing with the specific ways that we have maybe contravene God's law by coveting or, or lying or stealing recognizes that first and foremost we've actually mm. turned away from God and that's why the repentance is a returning to God and a faith in Him mm-hmm. that is actually at the root or the foundation of all sanctification in our lives. Does that make sense? That makes sense. So what I think what you're saying is that in a sense that to just continue to use the same kind of language which is that by breaking the first commandment that uh, you should have no other gods but me but that means that we actually it begins not only in terms of actions like stealing or committing adultery or covetousness but it actually begins in not having a disordered faith we are not really putting our faith in God himself right something else has become an object of faith and worship and as a result of that that actually leads us then to commit adultery, to steal, and to actually commit covetousness. Absolutely. And therefore, the way back must actually inv- must actually involve the reordering of our faith and worship. Absolutely. Because you cannot actually stop coveting, stop stealing, without actually returning to only having God as your God. That's a great way to say it. And that's why the gospel itself is so fundamental to our sanctification. Mm-hmm. If we see our sanctification as being trying harder not to commit adultery, steal, lie, we will end up trying to do those, we will end up trying to grow in holiness by our own effort. That's right. And as you said, that could lead to pride, self-reliance. All mm-hmm. of these things are described as sins. Mm-hmm. We could actually end up trying to use sin, pride or self-effort to try and get us to stop sinning. Mm-hmm. And if we're not aware of how pride and self-reliance is at work in our own, in our own hearts, we could actually stop coveting at some level, mm-hmm. but we're just replacing the sin of coveting for the sin of pride or the sin mm-hmm. of self-reliance. And now it, maybe it's a more socially acceptable sin, but actually our position before God hasn't changed at all. Right. And That's this right. is why uh, the only way to truly grow in sanctification mm-hmm. where we actually know and love God is through the gospel, which brings us mm-hmm. to God. You think of Peter who says, you know, the mm-hmm. righteous died for the, the unrighteous righteous. ones for all in order um, to, to bring, bring us, us to, to God. God. And that's restoring us to the place of God alone, which is the first commandment. So let's, maybe for some of our listeners, this is a slightly new concept or, um, mm-hmm. or idea. What we can maybe do is think of an example or two of how this works out in terms of sanctification in our own lives. And then we can take some time for the rest of our episode to just double click a little bit on what like, good repentance looks like and what true faith looks like. Um, I think let's take, for example, um, even let's say a conflict that happened between you 
maybe you're a friend but maybe I'm thinking about me and my my, me and my wife and this can happen unfortunately on a regular basis where um, where she's saying that I'm not actually listening to her okay and I think at one level it can, the whole conflict can be resolved by me saying oh yeah I, I'm sorry I wasn't listening to you I will listen to you again right but I think that when we're talking about the repentance and faith that we are talking about over here that actually requires uh, in a sense for myself to reflect even more deeply as to why I'm actually not listening right I'm not listening because okay there could be good legitimate reasons for not listening I'm not going to go into all of those all of yeah. those things but let's say that in that particular moment it was because I was self-absorbed I wasn't actually I was actually more interested in what I'm thinking about what even could be on my phone for example rather than in whom God has given me as my partner for life and therefore I'm actually at that very moment more interested in myself being more self-absorbed and self-obsessed rather than actually really worshipping God something has replaced my faith and worship and therefore repentance in that sense must do like first recognizing that this is not just a mundane situation God is actually in this situation this is someone that God has given to me to be my beloved to be my wife to be my covenant wife right. and that means that I had that's a definite that's, that means that God wants me to relate to her in a certain way and I failed to do that not only have I sinned against my wife I have also sinned against God and I think that then we pursue this line down or to pursue down this line you will actually then begin to see how repentance and faith actually works out in in this particular example that's a great example um, I could think about myself at home maybe I struggled getting irritated irritable with the family and in that moment when I realize I'm being irritable with them I could maybe think okay I, I need to be more patient and just try and will myself to try and be more patient because that's the Christian thing to do I should be more gracious and loving but that will only bear so much fruit as much as my self-control allows me to actually be patient but the point will probably come where I've just I cannot take it anymore and then I get irritable and grumpy again mm. and what's actually at the bottom of that is a selfishness a self-centeredness where I feel like my comfort what I'm doing in that moment is more important than other people around me and every question or noise in the house or whining is infringing on my rights to a peaceful afternoon or to not be disturbed mm -hmm. and it's because that like idolatry of myself is being challenged that I then employ some functional savior mm. uh, a sharp tone being irritable being grumpy right. I'm scolding them to actually try and um keep my idol of comfort or selfishness however that's manifesting intact mm -hmm. and so as you said it's not just that I'm sinning against my children I'm sinning against God actually mm -hmm. by elevating myself above him and so yes the root of dealing with my irritability is actually to repent to God of my idol of self-love self-comfort or whatever's driving it um, and so it's only through the gospel though that I am able to see and understand that I'm not the center of the universe. There is one who's greater than me, who is mm. holy, and who's loved me and given himself for me. Uh, and when I receive and believe that, now actually, not only am I restored to God, where I'm no longer the most important thing in the room at that time, but I'm actually moved by his love for me to 
be patient and sacrificial toward my children as he's been with me. Yep. And so for the rest of the time, do we want to just um, maybe quickly talk about what does repentance and faith look like? Yeah, so a number of years ago, I was uh, at a city-to-city church planters training. And one of the trainers um, just took some time to double-click on repentance and faith. And I think sometimes even this language of repentance and faith can remain a little bit vague in our minds. But he gave uh, a couple of different steps. I've rephrased them and Mm -hmm. turned them into kind of six steps Mm -hmm. to help us just think a little bit more about repentance so that I found really helped me but at that time I was actually working through something quite significant in my own heart and this really helped me mm. isolate it so the first step would be to list which is to name the sin specifically so mm. what exactly is that write it down um, give words to it mm. don't just say I'm struggling with sin but like I'm struggling with the sin of irritability that's rooted in my own mm-hmm. self-love say mm. secondly explore so the first one is list the second is explore Explore how you might take a closer look at what's happening in your heart, right. including idolatry, both near and far idol. So my irritability, the um, exploring what's happening is that desire for my own comfort. Mm. I'm making myself more important than them. Then third, confess. Um, how can I honestly and specifically confess this to Jesus? Mm-hmm. And who else do I need to confess this to? So confession, I mm. become specific. It's not just, I'm sorry that I've, sorry that I sinned. It's, Jesus, I've sinned against you, mm. um, and I've sinned against you in this specific way. And then mm. in this case, maybe I've got to apologize, confess to my family mm. as well. The, the fourth I found to be really helpful, grieve. How has this sin mm. damaged me, my family, and my community, mm. and tarnished the name and glory of Jesus? Mm. This step really helped me to realize the damage of my sin, mm. that I am modeling something unhelpful to my family. Right. I am showing them a picture of God that he's not like. I have distorted Mm. myself to make me less than an image bearer or Mm. act less than the way God's intended me to. And Mm. I'm putting a divide between me and my kids, telling them that they're not worthy of my time or that my own comfort's more important than them. And and, and Mm. meditating over this actually leads to the next step, which is hatred. How is the mm. sin therefore my enemy seeking my lo- seeking my ruin? Mm. And this is an important part of repentance because you begin to realize mm. sin is not just some vague rule breaking. Sin is an enemy that is destroying God's glory. It's destroying my own life and my relationships. That helps mm. you hate it. And then the, mm. the final step to actually turn um, where you think, what does it look like to actually turn from this now? Mm. And you begin to flesh it out. So I found that personally to be, to be really helpful for me. And... Um, yeah, do you want to maybe talk through faith and some of the different aspects of what that could look like? Sure. And I think that what you said is actually um, very helpful, right? As in repentance is not just something in general, but you made it very specific when you talk about listing it, also about how you can explore the um, what is the effects of it and to look at it deeper and in the ultimately to turn from it, but also to grieve for it as well, I think. Um, th- those are very helpful but we don't just stop, we don't just stop at repentance right which is kind of like just looking at a sin but we do want to turn to Christ and um, by repent so we turn away from sin that's actually repentance but we want to turn to Christ yes and that's what's faith and which means that we look at Christ okay and I think one of the ways that to look at Christ is for example just from my own example just now about self absorption and we look at Jesus Jesus is actually not self absorbed at all Right. So when in fact in, when he lived on earth, 
is absolutely others focused right he lived in order to love others and he gave his life for others so yes. that's actually how then we can look at so you take basically this aspect that you're struggling with but look at how Jesus himself actually has modeled it and, and lived that lived, lived that perfectly right and not only just looking at it but we begin to even just even pray and ask God to help us to marvel mm. at it because um to marvel I think in two also in two sense is that how he has lived that up so perfectly but in a sense that even though he lived that out so perfectly for you right Jesus lived without any kind of self-absorption in his, in, in his life but yet he died for people who are self-absorbed it's amazing he died for sinners and and we and we are invited to stand at sit at a cross and to just marvel at what he's done for us and as a result of that when we think about his death I think so we just not only just look and marvel but then we begin to receive we begin to really trust and you know sit and receive and what he has promised for us which is his righteousness to really just reckon again that look what we said about justification there's actually pantelia there's a point in time it's true we have been declared righteous yes. and once again we recognize that that's actually what we have in Jesus and on the basis of that then we can actually begin to draw near to God because we are through the blood of Christ we have an access to God we have been made sons and daughters of God and we can actually come to him and begin to talk to God and 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 so and that is actually then and that's what part of part of faith and I think finally you do then to then think about what it means to actually walk this out I think that's a little bit similar to turn but then now you're thinking about it in a, in a light of not the sin itself or what it means to turn from sin but now in the light of actually what Christ has done for you and what how he has accepted you in, in yes and made you ex- accessible to God I mean made God accessible to you and what does it mean for us to walk this out and we begin to even just request and just ask even of the Holy Spirit to help us to fight this very thing so that we are not doing this on our own strength so I think um, the two actually does dovetail uh, very well, very well together when you think of it in this way repentance and faith so repentance list then explore confess grieve hate and turn and in faith what we do is we look at Christ we marvel we then receive his righteousness but then on the basis of that we draw near to God and we begin to walk uh, in light of that and we can request the spirit to actually aid us in this fantastic so our time's up today but we've spoken a bit about how the gospel is not just for our justification mm-hmm. it's our sanctification and right. how we want to break that down and actually allow the gospel to lead us back to God the first mm-hmm. commandment that we have no other gods before mm-hmm. him so that the power of these sins is broken in our lives well Ed thanks for all your wisdom and for sharing with us today I appreciate you um, sharing your life even and mm-hmm. that example and thanks for helping our listeners and just to sum up I think what we're saying is that essentially the way in is also the way that we go on in the Christian work well that's how we're going to end today the way in is also the way on thanks for that great reminder as we end have a fantastic uh, week everyone look forward to being with you again soon see you